Everybody, thank you, Garrett. Thank you, Nancy, for that. You're probably wondering what in the world, Pastor, you're doing with this wedding dress up here. Well, I'm not going to put it on. Don't worry, okay? But I want to share a message the Lord has put on my heart today. How many of you young ladies uh, remember those days when uh, you could hardly wait to get married? Do you remember thinking about those wedding bells and that uh, wedding dress? How many of you young ladies know what I'm talking about? And what about it, young men? How about the men? How about uh, you remember the days when you thought about marrying that sweetheart of yours? Surely you hadn't forgot it, have you? Well, I want to preach today on the subject as we're studying still through the book of Revelation on the subject of get dressed for the wedding. Get dressed for the wedding. And by the way, do you believe that the Lord God Almighty has created you and me to have a relationship with Him? The answer is yes. The Lord has created you and me to have a relationship with Him. So this message is not only going to apply to husbands and wives, but also every relationship, parents with children, and even friends for that matter. You know, I think, uh, I want to share something with you that happened to me this past week. Do you ever send a text message to somebody and you realize you sent it to the wrong person? That ever happened to you? Well, last week it happened to me. I thought I was sending a text message to my dear wife, Deanna. Okay? You already get the picture, don't you? And here's what I said in the text message. I get sometimes... Uh, hundred message or more uh, in several days, so I'm texting back and forth. Anyway, I text this message to what I thought was going to Deanna, and here was the message. I said, uh, okay. I said, I'm talking right now, and I said, I love you. L-U-V-U is how I spell love you. Well, guess who I sent it to instead of Deanna? Sister Becky, our secretary. Now, for those of you that are watching by way of live stream, I want you to know Sister Becky's 80 years young, okay? <laughs> and by the way, I figured out that it was went to Becky instead of Deanna, and so I wrote back to Becky, Sister Becky, and said, Sorry, Sister Becky, that was supposed to go to Deanna, exclamation mark, but I still love you too. <laughs> and, and I always like to sign with a scripture verse, Psalm 23.1. She wrote me back and said, Ha ha, thought so. Nice message, love my pastor. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Hey, by the way, I went on a mission trip a few years ago with several men. We went up to Tennessee. We worked together and had a good time together. And I hadn't seen this dear brother in quite some time, several years. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I get a text message from him. And here's what it said. Brother Randy, will you marry me? I said, I'm happily married. No, I'm not going to marry you. And what he meant to say was, will you preside over my wedding, okay? And anyway, I tell you, uh, things like that can happen. But today we're continuing our study in the book of Revelation. This will be almost 20 messages in this wonderful uh, journey in this apocalyptic book. So we're looking today at get dressed for the wedding. Get dressed for the wedding. I want to invite you to find your copy of the Bible and then 
please look with me at the book of Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to consider today, there are four reasons I think that uh, we need to get dressed for this wedding. We need to get ready for the wedding. In the book of Revelation chapter 19, I just want to read several verses, namely verses 7, 8, and 9. Now, we've already looked at Revelation 19, the chapter. However, we did not expound on verses 7, 8, and 9. And so I was praying this week, and the Lord seemed to lead me back to this text. I want to repeat what I said earlier in case you're here, and you say, well, Pastor, I'm not married. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. The message we're going to talk about today has application to every single Christian, okay? And so it not only has application, but it has to do with friendships as well. There are four reasons that you and I need to get dressed for the wedding. And I find them in this text of Revelation chapter 19. Are you getting ready, number one, for the wedding with preparation? We'll come to it in a moment. With preparation. I find that in verse 7. Uh, and then number two, are you going to get dressed or get ready for this wedding with uh, the dress altercation? Are you going to uh, alter the wedding dress? I tell you what, there's probably going to be some things that you're going to hear today for the first time. You may not have thought or connected the dots with the Bible in relation to this wedding union with our Lord Jesus and how it applies to us every single day as a Christian. But then number three, we're going to see, are you going to get ready for this wedding consummation? And we'll see that again in Revelation 19. And then finally, are you going to get ready, are you getting ready for the wedding supper celebration? All right, I said that, and I'll bring it up on the board, don't worry. Uh, Revelation 19, if you'd like to stand to read the Word of God, there's only three verses here, and so we'll read these together, and then let the Lord speak to our heart about getting ready, getting dressed for the wedding. Verse 7 of Revelation chapter 19, let us be glad and rejoice. John is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. This is a heavenly scene. He's been uh, uh, the church has been raptured, and as of chapter 4, the picture I looked and the door was open in heaven. And so here's a picture in heaven. I'll explain a little bit more in detail after we read the text. Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. The marriage of the Lamb is come. I just want to point out one thought, and then we'll move on. The word is come is aletheia, which is in the aorist tense, which means uh, it has already come. The marriage of the Lamb is come. And then look at verse 7, the last part. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen, please underline this next phrase, the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. This is very important, beloved, and you may not have ever connected the dots of what the Bible is teaching right there. As to you are building, I'm building our wedding dress right now. Did you know that? You are constructing your wedding. Have you ever seen a, a wedding with a, a dress with a hole in it? 
a big hole. I don't think I've ever seen a wedding with mud splattered all over a wedding. Have you ever been to a wedding with mud splattered all over a wedding? No, I don't think you have. We're building our wedding dress right now. Keep reading verse number 9. He saith unto me, right, blessed, and that word blessed, Macarius, is another blessed beatitude. There are seven of them in the book of Revelation. Blessed are they, happy, happy is the translation. Right, blessed are they, uh, which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So don't confuse the two. One is the marriage, the other is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Let's pray together. Father, I know you're preparing us. You're preparing me. You're preparing us as a church for the hereafter. And even you're working in us every day in our relationship with you. I thank you for those who set aside some time today, Father, to spend some time with you, to grow in our relationship with you, to uh, understand you better and to fulfill your purpose and your calling in our life. We thank you for your great, amazing grace and unconditional love that uh, supersedes our finite minds. I want to bless you, Father, that you came looking for me. I wasn't looking for you, but you, Jesus, came from heaven and lived a life I couldn't live and died a death I couldn't die, but you rose again as you said you would, and then you promised you will come again. So prepare us, Lord, this day that you set aside, change us, and help us, Father, to give you audience and attention with our mind, our will, our motions today. And I pray, dear God, that be cleansing in my heart and every heart that's here, and maybe today would be the first day of a new birth in this place, a new relationship with you, and we thank you now. The best indeed is yet to come. So our Lord, encourage our hearts today, strengthen our faith today, and fill us overflowing with joy unspeakable, full of glory. In spite of the things going on around us, we thank you that you are um, special and you are altogether lovely and you know all about us so we say we love you all because you loved us first and we yield afresh to you help us to live a life that pleases you as we our father deny ourselves and ask you to fill us with your holy spirit to enable us to be godly fathers, husbands, mamas, wives, grandmamas, granddads, and sons and daughters, and friends. Oh, Lord, we need you like never before. So be glorified, we pray. Be exalted, we ask. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. You may be seated. Here's where we're going in the message today. You probably can't read this very well, but you will, uh, don't worry, I'll bring up the text a little bit later. The four reasons that you and I need to get dressed for the wedding the Lord gave me is number one, as I've already mentioned, are you getting ready 
for the wedding with, number one, preparation. I find that in verse number 7, uh, where John says, uh, Be glad, let us be glad and rejoice, uh, for the wedding has come. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Now, number two, are you going to be ready for the wedding dress alteration? We're going to camp out right there for a little while because I think this will be very, very pertinent to our everyday situation. Now, number three, are you going to be ready for the wedding consummation? Now, I don't know if you've ever done a study on the Jewish wedding custom, but we're going to compare and contrast the Jewish wedding in regards to the next event on God's calendar, namely the rapture of the church. And you'll see that in just a moment. But then finally, we're going to look at this second part of our text today, and it's in regards, are you going to be ready for the wedding supper celebration? You say, Pastor, this is a long time off. Well, all it takes is for Jesus Christ to come again in what we call the rapture of the church, and then immediately in heaven, I believe the judgment seat of Christ will take place, and whether that be in heaven or in the air, there's debate, and then the marriage of the Lamb will take place. So it could be just a few hours away, or a few days away, we don't know for sure. Now, it is true the marriage supper will take place after the seven years where we're in heaven with Jesus Christ. Won't that be wonderful to get to heaven? I don't know about you, but I get to thinking about heaven, and there's nothing in this earth, on this earth, that will compare to what heaven's going to be like. So, this is where we're going in the message today. So, I want you to find your Bibles again, and let's first of all consider, number one, are you going to be ready for, for the wedding with preparation? Here's the text, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. That word is come again, Aletheia. It means it's already come. And his wife have made herself ready. Can I just share with you what the Lord shared with me? And if you're taking notes, you will note there are First of all, relationship breakers, relationship breakers. I don't have this on the screen, so you're going to have to write this in your notes. Relationship breakers. And then secondly, relationship makers, breakers and makers. We're talking about relationships right now, okay? How many of you got a relationship with somebody? Raise your hand. We all have relationships with somebody. It might be our family, it might be our spouse, but we could all probably use improvement there in addition to improvement with our relationship with the Lord. Number one, relationship breakers. What do I mean by that? You'll find out. The first relationship breaker, and see if you agree with me, is this. Number one, selfishness. Selfishness is the number one relationship breaker. Do you know that marriage counselors tell us today and this is my opinion, but after studying this and writing extensively on this subject uh, a few years ago, marriage counselors tell us the number one problem in marriages and really in relationships, not just marriages. You know what it is. It's not finances. Most men, when I ask them, what's the number one problem in marriages or relationships today, most men say money. Why? Because we think in terms of money. I'm not going to ask you men how many believe that, but that's uh, the way we're made, and not saying women don't think about that as well. But I ask women, what do you think the number one problem is in marriages today or in relationships? You know what women say? Communication. That's what women usually say. Now, granted, 
These are two definite problems or issues or challenges in relationships today. However, the, these are not the number one problem in relationships today. Rather, selfishness is the number one problem in relationships. I've often said, you know, and you probably feel the same way, I don't get mad until things don't go my way, all right? And you're probably the same way. We are selfish by nature and by choice and by birth. So, if selfishness is the number one problem in relationships, it's what I call relationship breakers. Now, there's probably somebody sitting here today or maybe somebody listening today that you are having a problem in a relationship. But I want to tell you that it's not beyond God's repair. Yes, selfishness can be a problem, but God has made provisions for us to understand that it's not about us if, as far as a relationship, a Christian relationship. Do you know how to make it work, a Christian relationship? I'll tell you how you make it work. You make it work by taking our place in the cross of Christ. In order for a relationship to work, someone has well said, somebody has to die. Somebody has to die to their own opinion. And so the number one problem is selfishness or immaturity, if you will. Now, maybe today you're feeling convicted of this. Maybe you have been having your way and you're always happy because everything's always going your way. Maybe you are here today, or I don't know what kind of relationship you've got, but you say, well, Pastor, how can I deal with the relationship I'm in that somebody is always thinking about the other self, and, and I can't fix them? How many know that you can't fix somebody else? How many know you can't fix somebody else? But get this, we can pray for them, and God can fix them. God can fix them. That's the key. Tell me, are you praying for them? Rather than, and I'm going to talk about this in just a moment. The first relationship breaker is what? Selfishness, number two. The second relationship breaker, and this is just what the Lord put on my heart, is this. Resentment, resentment, resentment is the second, in my opinion, the second relationship breaker. And by the way, I was thinking here, and I'm not trying to um, draw attention to myself, but I've had the privilege of talking to hundreds of couples, probably a thousand or more couples. I'm talking about, tell them I'm busy. Uh, anyway, as I was saying, uh, as I was saying, uh, sorry. Anyway, uh, I've had the privilege of talking with thousands of couples. Ronnie knows I love him. I can joke with Ronnie like that, right, Brother Ronnie? Amen. <laughs> That's fine. I love you, brother. It's all right. No big deal. Hey, look, I've, prob I've talked with thousands of couples, thousands. Uh, I, I say thousands, probably a thousand or more. And, and on this subject, and I'm not saying that the bragger boats, I'm just telling you, uh, after dialoguing and meeting with couples and premarital counseling, so forth and so on, that uh, this is probably fairly accurate what I'm sharing with you this morning based on experience, all right, the last... Uh, 35, almost 40 years now. So, number two would be resentment. And furthermore, I just thank God. Can I go on record by saying, to God be the glory, my dear wife and I, Deanna, have been married almost 40 years coming up in July. Is that a blessing or what? Hallelujah. Isn't that a blessing? Hallelujah. Nowadays, and uh, Brother Jim Daniel, uh, the other uh, Saturday, last Saturday, he was here and his dear wife, 
Uh, Betty, as you know, passed away. They've been married 43 years. 43 years. And I love what Brother Jim said. Uh, they went up to North Carolina. Those of you that weren't here at the service, I shared it at the service. Uh, they went to North Carolina. And the Cherokee Indians, they named Brother Jim. Here's what they said about him. And Betty uh, added to it, I might add. They said, this is white man that talks a lot, okay? Jim's white man that talks a lot. Betty added to that, this is white man that talks too much, all right? I said, I can't say too much. Hey, by the way, look up here. It's okay to smile. Y'all look up here. It might make you feel better, hello, <laughs> you know? Anyway, it's all right to smile, and I'm just kidding with you when I say that. But uh, I know you've had a rough week. I know we're all stressed to the max, and so sometimes I like to share lighthearted things such as that. Number two, resentment. Now look, here's the deal. See if you're honest with me. Now you can act like you don't to get resentful if you want to, but when things don't go your way and, and when some things can happen, you can get very resentful. For example, supposing uh, your children, they don't treat you maybe like you think you ought to be treated or your grandchildren, and maybe they don't come around, maybe you don't get a card from them. But what about, what about uh, things such as that? What about... Uh, when your spouse or your friend is taking advantage of maybe the situation, it's easy to get resentful. It's easy to feel a bitter heart towards someone. That's the number two, what I think is a relationship breaker. And you got to deal with it. you got to let it go. If you don't, it will fester. It's like a sore. When you get a sore on you, if you don't, uh, you know, take care of it, it will get infected. And so it is with resentment. And I don't know about you, but probably most of us here have relationships that you uh, probably are strained in some areas. It seems like uh, the Lord uh, tests us through our relationship with people. And you'd think that everybody get along and everybody be happy, but, but let me tell you this. You can't make yourself sick in order to make other people well. Let me say that again. You can't make yourself sick in order to make other people well. Some people are just going through things and the devil will try to use that in our life to build some, harbor some ill will feelings toward them. And we become the loser when we do. And I love what Paul said in the book of Ephesians 4. He said, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. I'm spending more time on this point, by the way. Those of you say that, Pastor, you spend more time on point one than you do point four rightfully so this is very important so number one the relationship breakers is what selfishness number two resentment maybe there's somebody you today you've been resentful in your heart and you know it's hard to be right with God it's hard to be in a love relationship with our heavenly father when we've got bitterness in our heart or when we're angry or mad at people here on earth. It just don't work that way. Our, our horizontal relationships are tied into our vertical relationship with God. And the Lord tells us that in 1 John. Number three, the third, I think, relationship breaker is this. You ready for it? It's what I call potty mouth. Potty mouth. Have you ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? I was told that about a year ago. I was at a funeral and preached a funeral of one a dear friend, Brother Jimmy Dracos, and uh, I was standing there around the graveside. Brother Jimmy went to be the Lord. He was saved, and, and I was talking with somebody, and they said this. They said, uh, Pastor, I just was told I have a potty mouth. I said, you do what? They said, I was just told I have a potty mouth. 
I said, what do you mean by potty mouth? Well, you don't have to have a rocket scientist to know what a potty mouth is. It's a bad mouth, all right? And, you know, it's easy to let words fly that you don't mean. And Paul put it this way. He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Also over there in Colossians chapter uh, 4 and verse 6, I believe it is, uh, the, the Apostle Paul said this, Let your speech be always with grace, seized with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So, if we're not careful, our, our words, we can say things that we really don't necessarily want to say or mean. Jesus said this, it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles it, it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles it. Now, today, maybe you're just letting the words fly, and maybe you're feeling convicted now, you know, maybe I do have a potty mouth. Well, re let me remind you, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18, 21, and said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let's say that together. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. One more time. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, we talked about the, the relationship breakers. Now the relationship makers. What are things that make relationship? Are you going to be ready for the wedding with preparation? Right now, we are preparing for the wedding which will take place in heaven with the bridegroom, namely Jesus Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. You do know that, I'm sure. And that's referenced in Paul's writing in Ephesians 5, verse 25. He said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Hey, can I tell you this? Jesus Christ is coming back for a bride, a chaste bride. A pure bride and so I think John's given us a little insight here he's not coming back for an unfaithful bride he's not coming back and I'm gonna say something in a little while and uh, just hold that thought I'll come back to it in a moment but how in the world are these relationship breakers now relationship makers and let me just share with you a couple of relationship makers number one to love with a love that's uh, from above. Love with a love that's from above. You want to have a good relationship with somebody, no matter who it is, especially with God. You know, God is love. I love 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. We wouldn't know how to love if it wasn't for God. God is love. Yes, he's holy too. But speaking of love, Paul uh, describes really what God's love is all about. I love 1 Corinthians 13. We call that the love chapter. It, by the way, it's sandwiched in between chapter 12 and chapter 14. You know what chapter 12 and chapter 14 is all about? Spiritual gifts. And so if we learn to love each other in the church, that's the key because we have different spiritual gifts. But listen what he said. You hear it at weddings. He said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have not charity, it profit me nothing. And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profit me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity embeth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, does not behave itself and seemingly. Seeketh not her own, rejoiceth not iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. I like this part. Charity, love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I speak as a child, understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know even as we are known. Now abideth faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So love, unconditional love. Let me give you a reference to that. Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. 1 John 4 and 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And sin is some to be the propitiation for our sins. Yes, the love of God. We love Him because He first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Number one, if we're going to have relationships that count, if we're going to build strong relationships, not breakers but makers, it's got to be incorporated, included love that's from above. Now tell me, what about your relationships? Do you have love in your heart? Do you have the love of God in your heart? Well, if you don't, there's no way you and I can love with unconditional love. Yes, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Yes, God committed His love toward us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the love above, it takes God's grace and love to have a relationship that's made here on earth. But number two, care and share. Number two, if we're going to have relationships that make it, not breakers, but makers, it's got to have this uh, characteristic of caring and sharing. Let me give you a reference there. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Peter writes in reference to, y'all listen. He said, women, and I'm not being negative about wearing makeup and that sort of thing, but he said it's really not the plaiting of the hair and the apparel, the necklaces and the, you know, earrings and all of that stuff that really makes the woman. Rather, it's the hidden uh, person of the heart. It's that inward beauty that really matters more than the outward beauty. Oh, I know in our world, in our culture, it's all about the outside, but God says it's really the inside that really matters. And so husbands and wives are addressed in 1 Peter chapter 3. And in this reference in 1 Peter chapter 3, husbands and wives, for example, first wives, are to live a lifestyle, a chaste conversation. In other words, when you get home, don't, don't just come to church and be uh, good, or, or let me just say, come to church and practice love and forgiveness and all that, but go home and practice love and forgiveness and, and practice, uh, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, self-control, temperance, self-control. That's Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. So, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, wives... Uh, living before your husband is going to get to them far quicker than preaching to them. Amen. So, anyway, and then why husbands in chapter 3 and verse 7 of 1 Peter, listen to what he said. He said, husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Live with them, dwell. The word dwell there is the word oikos. It means be at home. Understand them. Wow. I mean, you know, you can get a driver's license, you have to go take a test to get a driver's license. Right? But you don't have to take a test to get married. 
I mean, you just go get a marriage license, and, and unless you've had a good role model, unless you've been having, going through some counseling, man, you know as well as I do, then you've got some really issues to work through in your marriage. There's no perfect marriage, all right? No perfect husband, no perfect wife. It's a matter of loving each other, forgiving each other, yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, praying for each other. So, loving each other and caring for each other and... Uh, and uh, serving the Lord, all right? Number one, are you going to be ready for the wedding with preparation? Number two, let's move right along. The bride, by the way, is waiting for the bridegroom to come. Yes, she's waiting for the bridegroom to come. And that's a picture of the church. Right now, we're waiting for the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come. What are, you, are we just to wait, twiddling our thumbs? Oh, no, we're to serve the Lord. And by the way, this is going to be a part of uh, constructing the wedding dress we're going to talk about in a moment. Number two inco includes this. Are you going to be ready for the wedding with, that is, alteration? Look at chapter 19 and verse 8. You've got to see this. And to her was granted. Go back to verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her, look at verse 8, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. i tell you what, this next phrase, you probably didn't connect the dots here like I had not for a long time. For the fine linen, look at the last part of verse 8, is the righteousness of the saints. Do you know how that's translated? You say, but wait a minute, what are you talking about here? Can I tell you what he's talking about? He's saying the righteous acts of the saints. That's how this word is translated. Look up here. The righteous acts of the saints. Do you realize that you and me right now, and when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ right now, these righteous acts will be scrutinized after the rapture of the church when we get to the judgment seat of Christ it will determine what kind of garments you have for the wedding in heaven. That's what John's saying. The righteous acts of the saints. Let me go back to that. He said, and to her was granted, the, the, her being the church, granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness and literally the word righteous is the word dikaios, which means the righteous acts of the saints. You and I are now putting together our wedding dress, if you will, or our dress. I like to think of groom. Maybe we have something different, but this is the symbolism and the picture in the Bible concerning the wedding which will take place in heaven. So right now, now look, look, I don't know about you, but uh, do you want to get to heaven? You have a hole in your wedding garment you want to get to heaven you got mud slung all over it hey look the lifestyle we live here below is going to determine our wedding dress our apparel in heaven it's going to determine when we get at the judgment you probably never heard that have you you probably never heard that have you i'd never heard that i didn't put two and two together to realize right now the lifestyle you are living right now is going to determine when we get to the judgment seat of christ the kind of wedding garment you and i will have not just the whole church, but we as individuals. Tell me, what is it going to look like? I have thought about it here recently. I've had the privilege of having weddings in 
A lot of uh, some in open fields, some in barns, some in buildings, uh, some in churches, some out in the woods, some on front porches. I mean, you name it. I mean, you know, the, the wedding. Hey, are you getting ready? Are you getting ready now? Oh, I hadn't even thought about it. Why not? I hadn't even thought about it. Why not? <laughs> you know, is your wedding dress going to ha- have a hole in it? I mean, what, 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 what's, what are you doing now that God's saying there needs to be some changes? You need to change your attitude. You, you've not had a good attitude lately. You, you need a change of, uh, of action. You've been all about me, myself, and I. And uh, that's not going to work. It might work with your family. You can manipulate them. You can have your own way. You can bully them, but you can't bully God. You can't uh, have your own way with God. You've got to come to God on God's terms. And Jesus Christ deserves to be Lord. Yeah, he demands to be Lord. So our righteous acts. Now, that leads us to number three. Are you going to be ready for the wedding consummation? Not only are you going to be ready for the wedding one, preparation. Number two, the wedding dress alteration. Maybe you need to take it up a little bit. How many of you, how many of you women out here wore a wedding dress? Let me see your hand. All right, one, two, three. Question, how many of y'all had to do a little altering on your dress? Let me see your hand, okay? Probably some of you had to do a little altering. That's what I'm talking about. Alteration, that's what the Lord gave me. There needs to be, it might be too long, it might be too big, it might, you know, I don't know. But I'm saying this, alteration. God's saying to us today, do I need to do some altering in your life? Is everything pleasing to me right now in your life? Wives, are you respecting your husbands? The number one, the number one uh, need, uh, according to marriage counselors and according to the scripture, the number one need for men, do you know what it is? To be respected. Be respected. And that's derived from Ephesians 5. You say, well, I, I can't do that. Well, Ephesians 5 says, see that, you, you, see that she reverence her husband. Not worship her husband, but reverence her husband. And he wants to be respected. You say, but you've got to earn respect. But when a woman or wife begins to disrespect her husband, then you've got problems there on your hand. And you say, but he don't deserve it. Well, let me put it this way. Jesus Christ came and humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He set the example to come under the will of the Father, all right? So you got to realize that when you step out from under God-given authority, you're not stepping out from under just your husband. And I'm not talking about abuse here, okay? Uh, I'm not talking about drugs and abuse. I'm just talking about the normal Christian relationship. When you step out from under that God-given umbrella, then you're not just defying them, rather you're defying God, all right? (laughs) And I know there's some uh, uh, people, I said the other day, I said, yeah, a lot of men tell me, they say they run things around the house, I know what they mean, vacuum cleaner, dishwasher, washing machine, and and, you know, all those kind of things. Anyway, here's the deal. So, are you going to be ready for the wedding consummation? Hang with me just for a moment. I want to share with you, and it's just going to be a brief moment, about this wedding consummation. Now, you know, at a wedding, after the wedding is over and, and the bride and the groom, away they go, they go to some honeymoon or whatever, the marriage is consummated, all right? Now, uh, a parallel would draw some good uh, thought uh, in regards to the rapture. Think with me for a moment, John chapter 14. Have you ever seen a Jewish wedding and the integral details of a Jewish wedding? 
John 14, we use it at funerals, but really it's a wedding. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, in a Jewish wedding, you do realize that the bridegroom and the bride would make what we call a covenant. They would make an agreement. Sometimes there would be things exchanged. Now, meanwhile, the bridegroom would say, I'm going back to my father's house to get a place ready for you. It was kind of like betrothal, or it was kind of like, it was kind of like betrothal, or it was kind of like uh, engagement. And so the bridegroom would go back to the father's house to get things ready for his bride. Watch this. Meanwhile, the bride had to be ready. Let me go back to this picture right here. The bride wasn't preoccupied with a whole lot of other stuff. I'm preaching to churches now. Hello. The bridegroom was coming back for the bride. What did the bride have to do? She had to be ready. She had to be watching. She had to be waiting. She had to be ready for her bridegroom to come. If she'd have been preoccupied doing this, and I don't have time, I've got a bunch of uh, other relationships in my life, and, and I don't have time for you right now, then when the bridegroom comes back, there would be a major problem. I'm telling you, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, is coming back for his bride, the church. Not just New Rocky Creek, but the church. And I want to tell you, when he comes, he wants us to be ready. Watching, waiting, are we? Are we preoccupied about this and that, and I don't have time to do this and that? Well, the bridegroom is watching and waiting. Now, the bride, the bride is waiting and watching. The bridegroom, meanwhile, when time was ready, it sent out a procession, and they would march through the streets, and uh, the procession would say, Behold, the bridegroom cometh! Behold, the bridegroom cometh! It would be an announcement. Let me tie one and one together. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'd go to prayer place for you. The bridegroom said, you stay here. I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Now, Jesus then tells us, and through Paul, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You get the parallel, don't you? In a wedding, the procession would say, Behold, the bridegroom's coming, preparing the bride. But when Christ comes again in what we call the catching away, somebody sent me a text message this week and said, uh, uh, asked me, said, Where's Trinity found in the Bible? I said, Trinity, you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. You do know that, don't you? The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But neither is the word rapture. But that does not negate the teaching of the rapture. It's all through the Bible. By the way, you won't find the word Bible in the Bible. Hello, don't listen to all this baloney about the Bible doesn't mention the Trinity, the Bible doesn't mention the... the no, 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 don't, don't go down that route. The Bible doesn't say... Again, there's no word Bible in the Bible, but that doesn't make the Bible not the Bible. Hello, here's the point. Jesus will come back in the rapture. And just like the bridegroom comes back for the bride. And you know what would happen? 
the bride would go out to meet her bridegroom. You know what we're going to do? The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up together. We're going up to meet the bridegroom, Jesus. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that's exactly the parallel. And then guess what? I had not discovered this until recently. This is absolutely a blessing to me. I believe the church has not gone through the tribulation. The tribulation was meant for the Israel, not for the church. I could talk more about that, but anyway, I'm not going to take that time. You can look at some of the messages that we've got listed there, reason to be ready for the right rapture, over an hour on why. But anyway, here's the point. The point is, the rapture after the bride and the bridegroom, the bridegroom would take the bride back to his father's house. Guess how long they stayed in the bridal chamber, according to Jewish custom? Seven days. Seven days. I find that interesting, beloved, because I've read in Daniel 9:27 when there's going to be one week, seven years of tribulation, where the church is raptured up with her bridegroom, the bride, for seven years. Watch this. What would take place after the bridegroom and the bride would come out of the bridal chamber? The wedding supper. That's right. They would enjoy the wedding feast with their, their uh, guest. And that's what this is all about. The wedding celebration. Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, get the picture. Seven days in the bridal chamber coming out. Wedding supper. Feast in the Jewish custom. In heaven, after the rapture, seven years where God pours out his wrath in the form of seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, and then at the conclusion of seven years, we, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, come back with the bridegroom. Why? For the marriage supper of the Lamb here on earth. Look at this, and I'm almost done. Look at this, verse number 9. He saith unto me, Right blessed are they that are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Can I simply say this in wrapping this up? I don't want to get into a lot of uh, detail other than saying, Who is coming back? There are some who believe that the Jews and the church will comprise uh, the make up the bride. I do not take that view. Rather, I excuse me, I take the view that the church is the bride of Christ and the Jews, Israel, <clears throat> will be the guest along with the Gentiles. Wedding guest. When you got a wedding, you got guests, right? <clears throat> that is what's going to take place. Now, I wonder today if you'd stand to your feet. Are you really getting ready for this wedding? Blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. <clears throat> Here on earth, oh, what a spread that's going to be when we come back with the bridegroom, the church. Tell me, are you getting ready for this wedding? Are you getting dressed for the wedding? Maybe today the Lord has spoken to you about some relationships in your life that are just strained 
or maybe you're having some difficulty. You just need to pray about them. You need to put that loved one on the altar. Maybe you need to release some stuff in your hands. <clears throat> I've often said when you hold on to something, you keep holding it out like that, the longer you hold it, the heavier it gets. You, you just need to let it go. <clears throat> you say, I'm upset, I'm mad about this or that. Just let it go. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I want you to right now think about what God is saying to you. Have you even thought about this? Have you even thought about this? What are you doing? What, what, what kind of garments are you going to have? have, you, have what, what if the Lord come, came back today? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. Thank you, Lord, for preparing us for what's ahead. Lord, it does matter how we live now. And I thank you, Lord, for those who've come and, and as you examine our hearts and as we examine our own heart and as you turn the light on us, our Lord, we're asking for breakthroughs in relationships. Father, I'm convinced you put this on my heart because there are a number of people in this stressed out time with COVID-19 that are having difficulty in the marriage and ready to quit, ready to throw in the towel. And many parents and children and grandparents, Lord, it... it the, the anger, the bitterness, the resentment that we're experiencing in our lives because of uh, uh, things that are going on. I pray, dear God, for your will, your word, your way. Oh, Lord, you know what needs to be done in every heart right now, and I know what you want to do in my heart, and I want to obey you and follow through exactly what you tell me to do. So have your way right now, we ask in the name of Jesus. Maybe there's some here today who really don't have a relationship with you, and therefore there's not going to be any preparation until they get born in your family. I pray today, dear Lord, you'll open hearts. Save those who need to be saved. Let them know you love them, and let them know you'll give them capacity to love others. Thank you for your great love. We bless you, Jesus. Your grace is in place. We thank you now what you're up to in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. We're going to sing now what number, Brother Garrett? <clears throat> uh, page 60. All your relationships good? All of them right? Let's sing. <clears throat> Be thou my vision, Relationship Lord makers. Of my Relationship breakers. Not be what changes? What changes? What changes do I need to make? Do you need to make today? It's not about me. It's about you, Lord. It's your relationship, what it ought to be with the Lord Jesus. What kind of wedding are you going to experience in heaven? As we sing, be thou my wisdom and thou my. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me just for a moment? How many would say, Brother Pastor, I'm in a situation I need prayer. Please lift me up. Please lift up my family. Maybe it's you, maybe it's somebody else. You just need prayer. Would you lift your hand right up and right back down? 
Thank you so much. Appreciate that. I mean, it would say today as we continue our time of heart searching, would say right now the Lord has shown me some things that I really need to deal with. Don't need to put it off. I don't need to procrastinate. I need to go ahead and do it right now, and I'm going to do it right now. Asking Him for a change of heart. Asking Him to give me faith in Him, trust in Him, and power to change what needs to be changed. Would you lift it up for the Lord right now? Just lift up that need right now. How many would say my relationship's built upon the Word of God? How many would say today you need to rededicate your relationships to the Lord Jesus? Maybe start bringing the Bible into your discussion and start praying with your spouse or with your children or with your grandchildren or with your friend. Why don't you start praying with them? Why not right now rededicate this relationship to God right this moment? Let God have His way with this relationship. That's the only way it's going to really work. Hamid would say, I'm not in a good relationship with my great God. And I want to ask the Lord to forgive me of my sins. I know I'm saved, but I need, I have some things that crowded in my life, and I, I want to get back. I want to get back where I sense His presence and peace in my life. And I let other things occupy my time and my mind and my heart that are not necessarily what the Lord really wants. I want to get back. I want to get back. I want to get back. I want to get back right now where I once was. Talk to the Lord, would you?